We've all heard of women's intuition, right? Well, men have intuition as well. Intuition is so important when it comes to feeding ourselves and our families in our challenging food environment. This podcast explores a variety of topics related to a powerful, evidence-based eating framework called intuitive eating that integrates instinct, emotion, and rational thought. My hope is that it will help you finally break free of the perpetual diet cycle. This is the Men's Intuition Podcast. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Men's Intuition Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Jeff Ash, and I'm here with another very special guest today. But before I introduce you to him, I did want to read you a quote that I came across on his social media feed a while back, and I thought it was a great way to start off this uh, this particular episode. So he, he writes, money, weight, physique, masculinity, the list goes on and on. Why do we always have to rank each other and compare ourselves to others like we're in some March Madness bracket? The truth is we never know what is happening behind the scenes. What is that other person battling that we can't see? Let's keep that in mind the next time we want to start comparing and stereotyping. So I thought that was a great way to introduce our guest and our topic. Uh, today we have Jason Wood, and he turned his battle with orthorexia into a mission to break the stigma around men's mental health and eating disorders by launching his blog, Orthorexia Bites, in 2021 and publishing his memoir, Starving for Survival, earlier this year. Through numerous podcast appearances, speaking engagements, and his writing, Jason is starting an important conversation that encourages everyone, especially men, on how important it is to speak up and get the help that they deserve. So without any further ado, welcome, Jason. Uh, thanks so much for uh, that wonderful introduction and for uh, for bringing up that quote. It just it gets me going. It, it reminds me, you know, why I'm doing this and why I'm sharing this message. So uh, hopefully, the the more that we can get out there and and share messages like that, the more we can change the narrative around men and eating disorders and men and mental health. Yeah, I think that's such an important conversation, which is why, as I told you when we were getting ready to to start the recording here that you were definitely one of the people who was at the top of my list as far as guests who I wanted to have on the on the show here because I think that uh your perspective coming from a male voice uh directed toward men and especially on this topic which often anything related to eating disorders it it, it kind of tends to be stereotyped as women and young typically skinny white women is kind of it, it even further stereotypes it. And so I think it's great that we are going to be having this conversation today. And and for our listeners, you probably heard that word orthorexia and thought, what is that? I've never heard of that. So uh, in a moment, I'm going to ask you to tell us a, a little bit more about yourself and how you developed orthorexia. But since I think this term may be unfamiliar to a lot of people, what is orthorexia? Yeah, when when I start off my uh, speaking engagements, people always start looking at me in the crowd with a confused look on their face. As soon as I say orthorexia, they're like, "Ortho, what 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 is he talking about?" Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. that's how I was too. I hadn't even heard the term until I was months into my own treatment, and then I would have to go back and actually uh, explain to my treatment team more about orthorexia as I was doing the research into it. But essentially, it's an addiction, an obsession, a fixation with healthy eating. 
the individual worries more about the quality of the food compared to the quantity of the food. So in my case, I was taking all of these different food rules from the various fad diets that are out there, the fad diets that like to villainize certain food groups and, and different types of food. And um, I was kind of crafting them all together into one master diet that I thought was going to give me longevity, that was going to provide perfect total health. But in reality, it was destroying me mentally, emotionally, and eventually physically as well. But in my mind, I thought I was doing the right thing. I thought I was just eating healthy and taking care of my body. And that's that's pretty much what orthorexia is summed up, is it's just this addiction to this healthy, clean lifestyle. Yeah. Now, is it uh, is it something that's in the diagnostic criteria for eating disorders yet, or is that still in the works? Not yet. Not yet. But I am pushing for it. I feel like the more that we can get out there and talk about it, the more research that can go into it, we can get it um, included in the diagnostic criteria. I think one of the things that makes it so difficult is there's such a spectrum. Uh, individuals can have orthorexic behaviors uh, where maybe they're not fully impacting their life to the extremes that it was with me. So I think that's really where the research is uh, still, still needs to be done uh, so that we can figure out, you know, what is that tipping point? When, when does this want to just have a healthy lifestyle become an obsession. So I think it, it's figuring that out. And I think through having these types of conversations and sharing my story and my experiences with orthorexia, hopefully we can uh, raise that awareness and uh, eventually see it there in the diagnostic manual. Yeah. Yeah. That's that, that would be great. Cause as we'll, we'll get to hear here shortly. Uh, it, it's not just, it's not just clean eating um, and cutting out a few things. So, you know, now that we know what it is, maybe you can tell us a bit more about your story and, and how you found yourself developing orthorexia. Yeah. So uh, growing up, I was overweight and I was constantly picked on by the bullies at school for, for being overweight. And it made me very insecure about who I was, very self-conscious about my appearance. And um, I thought, you know, this, this was my identity, that I was always just going to be the big kid. And um, it made me feel, feel like a disappointment, feel like a failure. Well, in high school, I decided to lose the weight. And that was when I joined my first formalized dieting program at Weight Watchers. And it was there that kind of that seed was planted where I started to, to see these different food rules and I started to label foods as good or bad. And I saw that as I lost the weight, the people who had been making fun of me were now praising me, were now applauding me. And this dieting, it gave me some sort of sense of power. It made me feel valuable and it, it made me feel like I was good at something. Well, then I went through some very turbulent times in my teenage years and adolescence. I, I would lose both of my parents at a young age. I would go through financial hardships. I would face eviction, um, arrest, fall into drugs and alcohol. And this just made me continue to feel like a disappointment and a failure. Well, I clung to these food rules because I thought that was the one thing I'm good at. I felt like if everything else in my life was falling apart, well, at least I could be good at dieting and uh, be good at taking care of my body. Well, then 29 comes along and I have a close call with colorectal cancer, which was the same uh, disease that had taken my dad. And it was at that point, I say, when orthorexia really entered the chat because I'd already had this disordered relationship with food. It was already a very unhealthy relationship with myself and an unhealthy relationship with food. But now I was committed to eating as healthy and as clean as possible 
because I thought that would prevent not just colon cancer, but all different types of diseases. And, and I didn't want to die young. So that is really when I doubled down. And that's when I started watching or researching as much as I could about the healthiest foods I could eat. And the problem is, if you look hard enough online, you can find something bad about just about any food yeah. out there. So in my case, that list of good food started to shrink and that list of bad food really started to expand. And that is when orthorexia really took full hold. Yeah. And, and you can really see how that that's challenging in a different way than things like anorexia or bulimia. Because in the case of orthorexia, what you're doing is what doctors are telling you sh you should be doing, you know, more fruits and vegetables, cut out the red meat, low fat, maybe, you know, cut out the carbs, whatever the, you know, whatever it is. So you're, you're mixing in the advice there. Um, you're, you know, the eating organic or cutting out the quote junk food and the sweets and probably in, in some cases eliminating caffeine and eliminate. So all these different things that you hear that are quote healthy and for for a person looking on the outside, they're like, wow, this guy's amazing. He has managed to put take all that advice and put it into one eating plan. And you can see how, um, yeah, well, that's probably one of the reasons why orthorexia is, why they're still trying to figure out how to put it in the diagnostic manual, because there's nothing wrong with eating organic, locally grown uh, fruits and vegetables and lean sources of meat and and eating all of these, you know, quote, healthy foods. But w when it crosses over from that into something that is unhealthy, uh, it's kind of a fine line, I would say. Does that sound fair? Yeah, yeah, very much so. And it was it was one of those things where I never had to hide orthorexia. And I think that's why I didn't even know that I was battling anything myself. The mm -hmm. thought of an eating disorder had never crossed my mind because I was constantly receiving that praise. I would go to the doctor and they would praise me for, for the way I was taking care of myself. And my coworkers and my friends would say, oh, you've got incredible willpower. You're, you, I'm so jealous of you. Like I wish I could be as committed to my diet as you are and take such good care of myself. But unfortunately, what they didn't see was what I was experiencing on the inside. The hours that I would spend researching this nutritional information, the anxiety that I would have around food, uh, the social isolation that would start to occur because I could no longer go to friends' birthday parties or out to dinner with friends because I was fearful of the food that might be on the menu. I couldn't take a vacation without pre-planning my menu weeks in advance and and stressing out about breaking from my food rules the entire time that I was on the trip. And it was all of these things that people didn't see. They didn't really understand that it was taking complete control of my life at this point. But unfortunately, that's very hard for a lot of professionals to, to measure. And I think that's why, yeah, we are lacking that diagnostic criteria yet. Because how do you measure stuff like that? How do you measure social, social, I can't talk your social functions mm -hmm. and um, different activities like that? So it's a very tricky, fine line that you um, that you find yourself in with orthorexia. Yeah. And it, and it can look different for each person, too. You know, you could have somebody who's less extreme with their diet and they're having they're going through extreme issues in those other facets of health, social, economic psychological, emotional, whereas you have somebody else who's even more rigid with their diet and they're perfectly, fu they're functioning just fine. It just, they're going through life and they, they claim to enjoy the way they're eating. Maybe they do, 
maybe they don't think about food all the time. They just are in this rhythm. And so it, it is, it's, it can be a really tricky kind of a, uh, of a situation where it, where it has to impact each person a bit differently, I would say. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I see, I feel it in recovery too, because there are uh, different recipes that when I was at the height of my orthorexia, I was healthifying, as I like to call it, everything. So mm -hmm. I was substituting this for that and this for that in every single recipe so that I could make it as healthy as possible. Well, in recovery, there are some of those recipes that I found that I thoroughly enjoy. Like they are foods that I enjoy to eat, but it's kind of like it's like mind games because I'm sitting here thinking, okay, well, this is a food that, you know, I crafted because of orthorexia, but I actually enjoy eating it. Mm -hmm. So it, it's one of those things where it's, it's finding that balance then about what is okay to still eat as long as it's not having those other in, impacts on my life. Yeah, and that's so difficult with food because food's everywhere. And we, unlike drugs or alcohol, where you can abstain, you can't abstain from food. Uh, and so you you have to find a way to to make those changes that are going to help you to recover from this issue. But at the same time, you're still in that that same food environment in many cases that that led to the the eating disorder, whether it's orthorexia or some other eating disorder. Right, right. I'll often get asked, you know, um, what, what are my triggers? How can I avoid triggers and, and all of that? And with orthorexia recovery, you can't. With most eating disorder recovery, you can't avoid your triggers because you have to eat three to six times a day. So yeah. every single day I am facing those triggers. I am facing those challenges every single day. It's not like um, a recovering alcoholic who who might be asked to go to a bar and they can say yes or no. I don't have that option when it yeah. comes to eating a meal. I've got to be able to eat every single day. So it, it's very difficult. Yeah. Well, and, and in social situations, you know, you're going to be invited to go out with friends and you might go to a restaurant that focuses on locally grown, organic, vegan. And, and maybe that's an area where you struggled, but that's, that's just the normal food in, in that other context for everybody else. But for you, that could be a really challenging situation uh, to navigate. Exactly. Yeah. And for me, I am a vegetarian and I am vegetarian because of ethical reasons. Mm -hmm. It's not because of, you know, the orthorexia, but that was something I had to work with my nutritionist on for, for quite a while at the start of my treatment, because we had to make sure that I was vegetarian for the right reasons, that mm -hmm. I wasn't cutting foods out or saying that these other foods were bad because it was the orthorexia talking. So that was, that was definitely a difficult conversation. And that's something that I still have to explain to a lot of people. When, when I started my blog and, and started my uh, speaking, I wasn't sure if I wanted to tell people that I was vegetarian because I didn't want them to judge me or think, oh, he, he's not recovering because he's still restricting these other types of foods. So it makes it, it, makes it very difficult. Uh, when you do have the different dietary restrictions, possibly because of health, there are individuals who can't have gluten right. and there are individuals out there who, you know, are diabetic or choose to be vegetarian like myself. So it, it makes it very complicated uh, when you're looking at the recovery process from orthorexia, where, mm -hmm. where you have to be able to decipher what is what. Yeah, it really comes down to that intent. What's what's the mm -hmm. intent behind it? And and I think that that's, um, you know, in my work with clients and uh, teaching them and walking them through intuitive eating, that's a big part of it is, well, what's your intent? If you like eating Halo Top ice cream, there's nothing wrong with that. But if you're doing it 
because you're afraid of eating regular ice cream, then then that can become a problem. Um, if you're, you know, if you're uh, eating a certain food because you're afraid of another food versus you're you don't like it or you prefer you've you've grown to prefer that you know maybe some somebody does actually like low fat cheese i can't imagine anybody who does but maybe there's someone who does but yeah. um you know if if you enjoy it then then great but yeah again it's that kind of uh having to get curious through that process and really ask yourself well, why am i doing this and i think that that's a that's a good way to 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 start to recognize i guess if if what you're doing is either a problem or potentially a problem as it really comes down to to that intent behind what what it is that you're doing because you can eat a very you know quote unquote clean vegan diet and have a perfectly healthy relationship with food you can have a you can eat a ketogenic diet which is extremely restrictive but still have a very healthy relationship with food because of the intent behind using that where it's not just to manipulate your body size or, or to restrict or out of fear, but, um, but for whatever reason it is for you as a, as an individual. Yeah. Yeah. I, re I remember one of the conversations I had with my nutritionist recently, and it was, I was worried because I'm like, I'm eating cereal every single morning for breakfast. I'm eating the same thing over and over again. And that was something I was doing, you know, at the height of orthorexia mm -hmm. too, simply because there wasn't m many foods left that I could eat. But, um, I was like, I'm worried that I, I might be relapsing or, you know, falling into quasi recovery. And she asked me, well, ask yourself, why? Why are you eating this? And I was like, I'm eating cereal every day because I enjoy it. And it's really good. And she's <laughs> like, okay, see, you're, you're doing this because you yeah. want to be doing this. You're not doing this because you feel like you have to do it or you're restricting. So it was, it was one of those kind of aha moments during recovery where I was like, okay, all right, I'm good. If I want to continue to eat cereal every day for breakfast, I can do that because that's what I want to do. That's what I am, 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 am intuitively eating. So. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, absolutely. But um, I think that's also why I'm out there. Uh, when I talk about diet culture and stuff, I try to make sure that, you know, I'm not out there to get it. I'm not out to say that all fad diets are horrible or the people that are promoting these different types of diets are horrible, mean people. What I'm saying is that we just need to have boundaries in mm -hmm. place, that we have to say it can go too far. If you're following this keto diet, but it's starting to cause you social isolation or you're having this anxiety and this guilt around other types of food all the time, then it's time to reevaluate things. Yeah. So I think that that's one thing that we have to find the balance because I never want it to feel like I'm attacking people in the uh, wellness industry. It's more so just let's promote healthy boundaries so that we know these things can go too far. Yeah, I think that's a good point. That's kind of the perspective that I tend to take also is you know, I, I don't want to tell anybody that the way they're eating is wrong because it may work perfectly fine for them. And just like, I don't want them telling me the way I'm eating is, is wrong, but I do encourage people to explore the why behind that. And, um, you know, a common trait of eating disorders like anorexia and bulimia is this overvaluation of size and shape. And I'm sure this, you kind of alluded to this earlier that it varies from person to person, but in general, and people with orthorexia is the focus primarily on outcomes that are related to size and shape, or are the changes in size and shape more of an indirect or unintended consequence of that restriction? Yeah, so I think it's an unintended consequence for most of us. It does vary by people, but in my case, it was never about losing the weight. Yes, at first when I was dieting in high school, that's when it was worried about weight. 
But over time, as the orthorexia really started to take full hold, it was just about the quality of the food. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't concerned about losing weight. If anything, I was trying to build muscle. And I think that's that's a whole nother topic when it comes to the bigorexia that we especially see around men. But um, for me, I was going to the gym constantly and I was working out because I wanted to build muscle. Unfortunately, I wasn't eating enough food to, to, you know, restore my muscle and to restore my body. So I was losing weight and it was causing me to uh, get get really low when it came to to my weight. And uh, that was something that in that last year is really orthorexia peaked. That was something where the physical effects were starting to take full hold. But that was never my intention. I was never doing this to necessarily lose weight. I was just doing it to prevent the disease. Yeah, and I can see how that would be, again, going back to the diagnostic. It it probably looked, you know, uh, to someone on the outside, it may have looked like it more like anorexia to someone who maybe didn't understand all the subtleties. And because, you know, you're heavily restricting your food and you're losing weight and, you know, this kind of thing. And whereas... And if your intent was to get smaller and go through that restriction, well, maybe it would have ended up being diagnosed as an as an you know officially diagnosed eating disorder. But because the again coming back to that intent, you weren't trying to get smaller, but it, it was a natural consequence of the fact that you had cut out everything. To eat. So what what are you going to eat? You know, you you can eat cereal and you can eat. You know, I don't I don't know what your particular list of foods were, but but any time that you heavily restrict, it's really difficult to to mm-hmm. then um, eat enough. Yeah, it was. I was eating the same thing, and I wish I could eat cereal back then, but cereal was on that bad list. Oh, by okay. That. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was. I was eating the same thing for breakfast, lunch, and dinner pretty much every single day, simply because there weren't any other foods out there I could allow myself mm-hmm. to have. At that point, it had become so restrictive, and it even got to the point where a lot of fruits and vegetables were cut out of my diet because I was concerned about the carb count or the Mm -hmm. sugar count in berries. And I'd seen some article that the sugar in blueberries and strawberries causes cancer, and I was convinced that would happen. So it was getting to the point where even these foods that I guess we've stereotyped as being healthy foods, um, they were not even allowed anymore because I was starting to find that research. And it was like, it just seemed like a slow progression with orthorexia, that it was never healthy enough, that I would get foods that I thought were safe, that I thought were healthy, but then a couple of weeks later, I would find something online that would worry me. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly those foods were cut out. So I was getting more and more extreme as time went along. And as a result, my diet was just becoming more and more restrictive. Yeah, that's... That's a had to have been an, an incredibly difficult thing. And, you know, a lot of people might think, you know, we kind of mentioned this earlier, but what's the problem? And obviously, you know, it was it was very disruptive to your life. But, um, you know, what's the problem with being obsessed with eating clean that should make you healthier? And uh, it kind of reminds me of the way that people incorrectly think about obsessive compulsive disorder. Mm-hmm. It's not uncommon to hear people say, oh, it'd be nice if their spouse or their partner or their child were, you know, in quotes, kind of this a little more OCD, which is very uh, annoying to people who understand OCD or who have it. Um, I have a close family member with with uh, pure OCD, and it's and it's far from just, you know, being obsessed with being clean. That's that's not even the issue. Um, maybe you can touch on that because I know you uh, in reading about your about info, that's something that that's been a challenge for you, too. And has that played a role in uh, making it in developing 
orthorexia or making orthorexia particularly difficult for you? Yeah, so I'll often refer to it that there was like a dance party going on in my life, and it was between orthorexia, obsessive compulsive disorder, and anxiety, because um, I was diagnosed with all three uh, when I when I spoke to my doctor about my concerns around food and stuff. And I really think the orthorexia and the OCD went hand in hand because it was this obsessive um, just nature about food where it was to the point that I thought if I took just one bite of a food out there that was on my bad list, that it was going to be certain death, that my body would be contaminated and that I would be a failure to the people around me who thought I had such amazing willpower. So it was this obsession where it was worst case scenario, if if one thing strayed from what I was doing, and it was also the, this routine, I had to have my food routine in place. I was eating at the same time every single day. I was eating the same foods every single day. And if just something would come up that, you know, made me deviate from my food routine, my entire day would, was ruined. I would spiral out of control at that point, And I would get very emotional. I would get very angry. And that was, you know, a combination of that OCD and the orthorexia kind of just working in tandem. So I definitely see um, that there is a relationship between the two. And I, I know that there's been some studies done. And uh, it's very interesting to see how they can overlap. Yeah, I can definitely see that how that would be the case. You know, this person I'm thinking of, uh, theirs isn't as much individual foods. But if a package of food is opened, for example, and someone else grabs a handful of chips, it, it this person won't eat out of that. Mm -hmm. They won't eat off of styrofoam. Um, if paper, like their food can come wrapped in paper, but if paper touches their food after the after the food's opened, then it's contaminated. So, you know, these are, these are traits that are, you know, people who understand OCD can understand where, where these thoughts come from, but I can see how that could very easily carry over into, into food issues too. Like you said, as soon as you start getting that thought and, and even if, even if you try and tell yourself that that food is not bad for you, that's not enough because of what's going on inside your, your brain. So I'm sure that that had to be extremely difficult to to get through. So ha has your recovery therapy for orthorexia involved kind of a multidisciplinary, multifaceted approach? And is that something you would recommend for for people who may may be either teetering on this or struggling in this area as they're listening to this saying, oh, this sounds a lot like me? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So at first I started working with my therapist. And through working with him, those first couple of weeks and months, we didn't really even talk about food. We didn't talk about my relationship with food or the orthorexia or any of that. We worked through a lot of the things that were contributing to the eating disorder. Because the one thing I've learned is that eating disorders are not about the food. Mm -hmm. They are about a lot more things than that. Food is simply just that tangible evidence that we can see. But um, in my case, we had to work through that unresolved pain. And we had to work through these anxious thoughts and we had to start confronting the OCD and, and start challenging some of those obsessions and compulsions that I've been facing. And it was through doing that that I noticed that things started to heal a little bit more when it came to, came to orthorexia. Then I would eventually start working with a nutritionist as well. And she was the one who would help me kind of heal that relationship with food. So I say that the therapist helped heal the relationship with myself. Mm -hmm. Then the nutritionist helped heal that relationship with food. And then I did a lot of things on my own because you can only meet with the professionals once, twice, maybe three yeah. times a week. 
but you've got seven days in the week that you've got to get through recovery and it doesn't take a day off. Yeah. So there was a lot of reading that I would do. I tried to learn as much as I could about orthorexia, about OCD. I tried to read other individual stories and experiences because that helped me reflect better and understand my own experience. Uh, I started practicing some mindfulness activities, journaling, taking on some new hobbies such as hiking and climbing and activities like that. And um, it was just just multifaceted approach to recovery. And it's one of those things where I can't point to just one thing and say, well, you know, that's what's helped me heal because it's been a collection of all of it. Yeah, yeah, that's that's so important that that people understand that these issues with food are um finding another diet or saying, okay, well, this diet isn't working. Sometimes people think, oh, okay, yeah, my diet's too rigid. Uh, this, some of the things he's talking about sound like how I'm feeling. So maybe I just need to find another diet. It's, that's not at all the case. It's, um, I, I often t tell people that in my work as an intuitive eating coach, that, um, many of our sessions have nothing to do with food because we're talking about something else that is really at the root of why they're struggling with the food. The food just happens to be the the side effect at that point, but it really isn't about the food. And so it's just like what you were saying there. Um, you know, what what makes it so hard for men in particular to identify that they have or may have disordered eating or full-blown eating disorder? So both with orthorexia, but kind of overall, just in general, what makes it so difficult for for men to to come to grips with the fact that their eating is not not healthy? It's the two S's. First, that stereotype. Uh, we think that eating disorders just are a feminine thing and that only women battle eating disorders. That's that's the impression that I had for a very long time. I remember in, in high school health class when we learned about eating disorders, uh, we only heard female stories. We didn't hear anything about males. We don't see it really portrayed in the, in the media at all, in the news very much. Uh, when I see eating disorders talked about a lot on social media, there'll be the her or the she pronouns attached to the different statements or the affirmations that are being made. Mm -hmm. And we've just made it a, a very feminine feminine topic, it seems like. Uh, it was interesting when, when I was getting ready to put my book out there uh, on one of the marketplaces online, eating disorders actually came up under women's health issues. It didn't come up under general health issues. There wasn't an uh, extra category for men. It was simply just a women's health issue. So I think for starters, it's that stereotype. And then the other S is the stigma. Men just don't talk about emotions. Men think that we've got to be these tough, silent, strong, brave individuals. And, uh, you know, the, the fewer emotions we share, for, the stronger we appear, I guess. But the exact opposite is true. You know, there is strength and vulnerability. Mm -hmm. But there are so many guys who, who are battling these insecurities and these anxieties and are having mental health issues, but they're not talking about them. They're just masking them and, and staying quiet because there's a fear of being inferior or being weak if, if they express what's actually on their heart. Yeah, I think uh, everything you said there just is, resonates as, as uh, so true. And I just had a conversation a couple of days ago with somebody else on the podcast who's a a, a trauma ther psychotherapist, and and one of the things she was saying is that us men tend to we keep that bottled up longer, and the way that it tends to manifest itself is anger issues. And so, mm -hmm. what's actually at the core is not anger; 
It's that we we don't let out the emotions. We don't deal with the emotions that we have until it basically explodes in the form of anger. And so often a person who is who has an anger issue, it's really they don't have an anger issue. They have a bottling up emotions and not dealing with that uh, what their feelings issue. And it, that's just the way it manifests itself. And it's unfortunate that that's the case. And just like yeah. you said, I mean, that was one of the reasons why I started this intuitive.eating.men Instagram account. I, I was just putting out general content for for everybody. And and I actually tended to target women more just accidentally because they're the ones that respond and interact the most. And I realized I'm doing men a disservice because when I started looking for male voices in this space, uh, there are not a lot in the eating disorder space and, and intuitive eating. And so um, that was, I, I was glad when I found your account as one and, and uh, you know, a very few other men out there really, really speaking up for men and as men. And I think that that's important. It's, you know, it's not to exclude women. It's just to say, Hey, we, men are not being targeted with this message. And, and I think a lot of times they, as you were pointing out, they, they feel like intuitive eating is a girl thing and that eating disorders is a girl thing. And you know, all this, this complete misconception when in fact, we know from the research that um, I should have had the stat in front of me, but I don't, but it's, a huge percentage of of people with eating disorders are actually actually men, and I don't think people realize that. And it's it's not just. And when I say huge, it's not like ten or fifteen percent. I mean, we're talking. It's pretty pretty close to even. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a substantial number. Yeah. But uh, I'm sure I'm sure you share some of the same hope that I do. Is that one day we don't have to specify that we're men talking mm-hmm. about things. Yep. I hope that one day I can just be an eating disorder recovery advocate instead yep. of a male eating disorder recovery advocate. Because then at that point, we know that we broke through that stigma and broke through those stereotypes. But until that time, yeah, I have to specify that I'm a guy because I need to change the narrative. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, that's one thing that, too, I will have a, a lot of uh, women followers and a, a lot of women reach out to me and say my story resonated with them. And I totally appreciate that. I'm here to help anybody. It mm-hmm. doesn't matter who it is. But for the time being, I have to really focus on reaching those guys out there because uh, they're the ones who who really need to hear this message right now. Yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, so so grateful for for people like you and um, and I know we're going to plug your book later. But just uh, anybody else who's listening, uh, the, the his book, um, "Starving for Survival." Did I get that right? Because I yep. okay okay I was just making sure I didn't have it in front of me, but I just started reading it this morning. I was telling Jason that uh, I was reading his story um, and really couldn't put it down, and well, I eventually had to put it down because I was running out of time. But read about six or seven chapters of it this morning. It's just a fantastic read that walks you through what he experienced, and it's basically him telling his story. And I think it's going to be really helpful for people to read that and and. I think a lot of people can probably resonate with exactly what you're talking about or at different points in your life say, oh, yeah, that was me at that point. Um, oh, I totally get where he's coming from at that point. And so definitely want to highly recommend that book. But, um, you know, clearly there's nothing wrong with wanting to eat in a way that promotes a healthy body. So, you know, what would you say are some of the distinguishing factors I know we talked about these some, but um, kind of go back and, and list them. Maybe the orthorexia and someone who's just mindful of what they're eating. Um, and, and when does it cross the line from being just a good steward of our body? And, uh, and what are some of the key signs, I guess, that would be 
um, you know, we kind of just sprinkled them in, but let's let's maybe kind of list out as best as we can kind of those specific signs and symptoms. Yeah. So so one of the first signs of obsession, how I kind of like to refer to it as is um, the lost hours. If you're finding yourself spending hours upon hours researching nutritional information, whether that's looking at restaurant menus um, or going to the grocery store and turning around every single item to study that nutrition label like a forensic scientist, that that's a sign that it's becoming an obsession. I think about myself, I couldn't even sit on the couch and watch an episode of The Office without thinking about food. There, there might be food on the screen and immediately, you know, my mind starts calculating nutritional information and thinking about how I could never be able to eat that sort of stuff. So um, I would say that that's where it begins with the lost hours. And then the second part of it is the social isolation. Uh, when you start skipping out on social functions because you've got to go to the gym or because you're worried about the food that's going to be served there. Um, I was at a friend's birthday party one time and there was Parmesan cheese on the vegetables and I left. I, I decided there was nothing I could eat there and I needed to get out of there. And um, those those are signs right there that it's it's starting to go too far. If, if you're pulling back from your friends, from your coworkers, um, then then it's a, a sign to start asking for help. If you find yourself, you know, completely restricted like I was with with zero variety left in your diet, that that's another sign that it's probably gone too far at this point. If you have to eat the same things day in and day out just because there's nothing else out there that you can allow yourself to have. Um, and then I, I would say the other thing is just this intense anxiety and then the trailing guilt after the fact of, of eating different foods. If you eat, you know, if you go out and, and you're celebrating your birthday or a loved one's birthday or something, but you've got intense anxiety before the event and then you feel extremely guilty afterwards because perhaps you did, you, you ate something on that bad list that day. Well, that's another sign. It shouldn't be like that. Um, so I think I think those are all signs that it's gone too far at that point. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, as you were listing those things, looking, you know, you've mentioned food labels uh, and, and that kind of thing. And there's I think there's that issue with orthorexia where you're going into the nitty gritty details of all of the micronutrients and all of the specifics of the food. But I think that in many cases, many people are teetering on the same negative impact on their life when they're obsessively counting calories and just macros. So it doesn't have to be super detailed or restrictive in the sense of cutting out all of these foods. But if you find that you can't go to a party because you don't have your food scale, if you find you can't uh, go out to a restaurant because they don't put the calorie count on the menu and, and therefore you have no idea what you're going to order uh, or you you think, well, I'll just take a jar of of my own salad dressing. At least I know, and I'll just get a salad because you, know, mm -hmm. you know, these kinds of obsessive sorts of sorts of tendencies. It doesn't have to even be orthorexia per se. But if you're if you're seeing some of those signs and symptoms that Jason has talked about throughout this, and that were related to orthorexia in in his case, and in in that uh, in in those people that that deal with that. But if you're if you have similar kinds of behaviors and symptoms that are related to your the way that you eat and the way that you exercise, it can be just as problematic, I think. Would you agree with that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, there were no rest days when it came to, to exercise mm -hmm. for me. I had to work out every single day to try to cope with some of the guilt that was happening. 
And uh, you brought up a really good point with the with the restaurant menus having the calorie counts on them. Uh, back in the day, that used to dictate what I would order. Mm-hmm. I would simply go through the restaurant menu and find what was the healthiest thing on that menu. And that's what I would order, whether I wanted it or not. And I think that's another sign is when you start ordering for something else. At that mm-hmm. point, I, I was ordering for egg, as I like to call it. I was ordering for that orthorexia. I was not ordering for myself anymore. So when when that nutritional information starts dictating what you're eating every single day, that that is another sign that, you know, it's time to speak up. Yeah, I think that's a really important point to make. And and hopefully people are resonating with that because I think those kinds of things are even much, much more common than people realize. And again, we're praised for it. We're told that that's that's a a noble character trait to have or a, a a noble behavior that it shows that you're disciplined and that you care about your body and you care about your health and and that you have strong willpower and and again that comes back I think it's even reinforced even more so in men uh, especially some of the strong male voices that that we hear um, talking about uh, you know grit and strength and determination and willpower and you know I was listening to someone else on a podcast a while back who was coming at it from this perspective and he was actually counseling kind of in sort of sort of coaching another person who brought up um it was one of the producers on the show he brought up his struggles with his weight and they said oh well why don't we just have a little coaching session here and so the guy started coaching him on this and the guy struggling with with his weight and his body over the course of his entire life was sharing how how um he he thought, you know, I you know, I've dieted before, but maybe I really need to get to the root of what's going on behind this. And guys, no, you don't. You need to, you know what you need to do. You need to just stop and you need to just do it. And then mm-hmm. it was just this very sort of stereotypical guy approach to, you know, suck it up and just do what you know needs to be done. Take care of business. And I think that, you know, there's a time and place for take care of business and do what needs to be done. But when that's the that's your relationship with food is not really the place uh, that that works out best. No, absolutely not. Yeah. And there are, there are too many instances of that happening, just uh, whether it, you know, it is in the media or just in general, we've mm-hmm. got some very harmful um, rhetoric that's been normalized out there for far too long. Yeah, definitely. Well, um, since orthorexia is not really an official diagnosis, what, um, you know, if, if people find themselves struggling in this area, do you have any recommendations for kind of how to reach out and get help with that? Um, I know, you know, I can certainly tell people if you're listening to this, you can certainly contact me and I can have a conversation with you and see if it's if you're at that point where I need to refer you out to somebody else or if maybe going down the path of intuitive eating might help kind of rein things back in because that does help some people depending on where they're at. But of course, somebody is really struggling in in numerous areas they may need a a team of of professional support or at least some self-help resources so maybe you can um give our listeners some ideas of how to get going in this this particular area yeah absolutely i would say one of the best starting points is to reach out to your primary care physician uh that's that's where i started and um even though he didn't really fully understand orthorexia at the time I was diagnosed with my eating disorder, it was just an unspecified eating disorder because of mm-hmm. course there is no formal diagnosis yet. But still that was able to be the catalyst that got me started on this road to recovery. So I think it's always important to, to reach out to a professional. Um and it could be, you know, in the nutrition world or or in the medical world. So uh reach out to somebody 
and share what's happening. Just be open, be honest, be authentic, share it all. Um, perhaps you just need to bounce it off of a peer first. So mm -hmm. there's always, my inboxes are always open. Reach out to other individuals who are battling similar things. And maybe perhaps through learning their stories, you can better understand your own story. I know that's something that was very beneficial for me at the start of my treatment was to, to listen to what other people had experienced. Mm -hmm. And it made me better understand what I was really experiencing so that I could better explain it to the professionals. So uh, that's definitely another avenue to go down. But above all, I would say just talk to somebody you trust, um, somebody that you feel comfortable um, sharing your concerns with, because once you start speaking about your anxieties or your worries, your insecurities around food, it starts to take away some of the power from that anxiety and that insecurity. So um, just speaking up in general, that that's a huge sign right there that you're, you're going to start that road to recovery. But uh, yeah, in my case, it was it was that open, honest conversation with my primary care physician mm -hmm. that, you know, started it all for me. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, it, you can't get help with something if you don't acknowledge that there is a problem. And, you know, you hear that with drug and alcohol addiction. You hear it with all kinds of things that you have to admit that you have a problem. And at, at least and, and I think in a lot of cases, people may not realize that what they're experiencing is a problem. They may see problems that are related to it but they don't realize that that the the way that they're eating that possibly orthorexia or something similar is what's actually driving these other problematic areas of their life and so I, that's why i think this conversation is so helpful and i also um again just to plug jason's book um you know i started reading it and and i know i can confidently say it's a fantastic book even though i'm about a quarter of the way through it uh but it's just a very powerful story of where this all started for him and how he, you know, you can clearly see how things developed over the course of his life and, and the various events that, that triggered different things, different paths that, that he went down. And I, I think a lot of men, a lot of women, anybody can, can relate to, to some of these things and how all of those different events in our life can, can lead us in a, a different direction and, and really understanding that, acknowledging it, recognizing it is is really the place to start uh, so that we can begin that healing process that you've talked about, too. Yeah, yeah. I tried to make the book as relatable as possible because it is just, you know, it's an average guy's story and the different factors that throughout my life contributed to this kind of perfect storm that was created. Um, and that that's why it's a book that's out there for people who might not even be facing an eating disorder necessarily. Mm -hmm. Perhaps they know someone who is, or perhaps they're just going through other challenges and obstacles in their life right now. That's what I wanted this book to be, was just a, a general, you know, story about someone who's overcoming some obstacles in his life. Uh, so that that is what Starving for Survival is all about at, at its core. And um, I just hope it's a book that that makes other people realize that they're not alone that they're worthy of help and that mm -hmm. they can get through, they can get through these tough times. Yeah. And that there, there really is hope for, for recovery in that. And, mm -hmm. and, um, and I think that that's, you know, that's why I named my coaching company hope drives me. I, I really think that hope has a very powerful driving factor, driving force for, um, you know, for seeing that those changes occur in your life. And, and uh, knowing that where you where you were and what you went through and that where you are now, I think that that's going to hopefully provide a lot of people with with that hope that if they find themselves in that situation, 
or something similar or something maybe something completely unrelated but but still problematic in many of those ways that they that they'll be able to have that um confidence and to reach out and and get the help that they need that's absolutely absolutely that that is what i'm doing this for that's why i say i shared my story but this is not about me this is about helping other people and uh, that's exactly what i hope to do with the book and the blog and, and all the other work that i'm doing yeah, well, that's fantastic. Well, where can people contact uh, contact you, connect with you and, and your work in this particular area? Yeah, so my blog is orthorexiabytes.com. And then I am also on Twitter and Instagram at orthorexiabytes. And uh, you can purchase the book. It's available on Amazon. There's also a link there on my website to the book. And uh, my email address is on there at the website too. So always feel free to reach out. I, I love hearing from everyone. Uh, because I think for so long we use the internet and social media as a way to just compare each other. I mm -hmm. guess going back to what we said at the beginning, that we were doing a bunch of comparison, but now I'm seeing the true power when we connect uh, using those platforms instead. So uh, I look forward to uh, to connecting with lots of folks through there. Yeah, definitely do that. And uh, Jason puts some great content on his Instagram, and that's that's where I connected with him and got to learn about his work. And so I highly encourage you to go follow him there and and uh, read his blog, definitely pick up his book, and that helps support his work as well. Not only will it benefit you, but that's going to support what he's trying to accomplish here too. So uh, again, thank you so much for taking the time to have this really important conversation with us. Uh, to all of our listeners, uh, if you find this podcast helpful, please subscribe and leave a review. That'll help uh, more people find it and share it around as well, especially this particular episode. And uh, share it around with with others who you think might benefit from it. And I think one of the things I loved with this conversation is that I don't think anybody's going to feel guilty or called out or anything like that. I, I think that it's the approach that you've taken is one where people are going to feel hopefully a sense of hope that, hey, you know what, maybe I can get some help in this area. And so I, I really look forward to seeing the impact that uh, your work continues to have in people's lives. And thanks again for joining us. All right. Thank you so much for having me.